I did work with 50 Cent on a project a very long time ago. The publicity and the awareness of me as a writer, that was one of the highlights of my career because, you know, you got to meet a celebrity, you got to collab with a celebrity, and he was very nice, very smart, too. The richest man in the world, he had to shoot her shot. <laughs> <laughs> man, I swear that woman well, I ain't gonna talk about her, but she definitely on my Mount Rushmore of, of gold diggers. A lot of people, they'll look at my career and they will think that I'm successful. And I feel like I have had some success, but like you said about social impact, I don't feel like I've had social impact. And so that's where I'm at now in this stage of my career. Welcome to the Brit Happens Podcast. Kevin, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining. You are also known as the well-fed Black writer. You penned your first novel, Entangled, 2003. Well, before I was writing, I had a host of dead-end jobs. I really didn't really have a direction in my life, as a lot of young people do take a long time to like figure out what they're going to do in life. And so I was really just wandering aimlessly, like going from dead-end job to dead-end job, you know, trying to figure it out like a lot of young people do. And I was actually taking some classes at a community college when um, a professor suggested that I try my hand at writing. But I think he meant like journalism, but I've always wanted to write creatively. I always had a real creative mind. So I took that as a sign. Sometimes you have to pay attention to things when you're trying to figure it out because a lot of times other people can tell you what you're actually good at as opposed to what you believe that you're good at. And so when he said that, that was one of the first times that anyone had ever said I was good at anything. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually kind of believed that I was good at it before he even said it, but that was more of a confirmation. But I'm not like a journalist type of writer. But when he said that, he meant journalism because I had turned in a paper that was very good. But I don't really like journalism. I'm not really good at grammar, can you believe it or not? But I'm good at telling stories and stuff. You're an amazing storyteller. He has one of the most vivid imaginations. So I think writing is more about when you're trying to convey an idea and get a person to follow along with whatever you're trying to convey. It's more communication than actually grammar and stuff. So like, I feel like anybody can tell a story and a person can follow along with it. That's writing to me, whether it's any kind of idea or whatever, if it's a paper or a journal or whatever. The main thing is to have a person to be able to follow along with you. If you can do that, you can write. I mean, there's people out there who can edit your work and stuff. There's a uh, Grammarly for all of that other stuff. I mean, it's, it's true. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. I, That's I, the nitty gritty. is you should have a basic concept of uh, grammar and punctuation. That's what I have very basic, you know, but anything else, like even now when I got to write an email or something, I use Grammarly <laughs> to help me out. Even for an email? Yeah, for an email, even a Facebook post. <laughs> People like to point stuff out because they believe that since you, you know, there's a lot of grammar police out there. They believe that if you say that you're a writer, hey, your grammar is terrible. You know what I'm saying? People <laughs> people will tell you that in a text message. Brittany, you've told me that in a text message. <laughs> I was going to say, I know I'm guilty of one of those, so I kind of kept my mouth open. you one of those grammar police. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kevin... Obviously, you are 
incredibly successful in your field. And you just mentioned the technicalities are not necessarily what makes one successful in your industry. But can you just give any aspiring writers, regardless of the type, any sort of advice? I know you always tell me, and this was offline, perseverance and patience. So do you think that necessarily translates into your field? Is there something specific that you want to share? Well, you know, people always say perseverance and you do have to have perseverance. And I've said that before because uh, it's not hard and it's not an easy way to make a living because there's a lot of people out here that are writing and stuff. So you have a lot of competition in any field now with the Internet. So it opens up for, you know, anybody with a computer can write a story. But I think you do have to have perseverance and you do have to um believe in yourself. And so when you believe in yourself, you'll promote it better because you believe that your stuff is good. Even if it's not good, you have to believe it's good. So if you, I believe that if you believe that you're something, eventually people will start believing <laughs> what you're selling them. Like if you say, I'm the best, they'll start believing it. If you say it long enough, you know, and if you mean it, I mean, you don't necessarily have to be the best at, at it, but if you believe that you're the best, you can be mediocre. I've seen mediocre people <laughs> be successful because they had a belief, you know, and I've seen people who can actually write really well not be successful because they didn't believe in themselves or they didn't get behind their work and they didn't try to sell it. So it's kind of like some of these girls online who may not necessarily be the finest or the most beautiful, but since they're so confident, somehow they've convinced men or even women to believe that they're a 10. Yeah, that's, and that's part of the belief. And I was talking to a friend the other day and we were talking about heavyset females. And I felt like, you know, there's a lot of women that are heavy and they're very successful with whatever they're trying to do because they have a confidence and they attract men. But if you're like a heavier woman and you feel like you're heavy and you have that attitude, like when you're not self-assured, people can kind of sense when you're not self-assured. It's like if you go out on a date with somebody and you go out on a date with somebody that's out of your league and I know women can detect that real fast like I'm out of this guy's league you right. know what I'm saying and that's almost a turnoff but if you lucky as a guy if you're lucky enough to land a woman that's out of your league you better be playing the part like you better believe in yourself that I'm out of her league <laughs> you know I mean people can sense when you're not confident about yourself for sure and then the person can grow on you if you feel that they're this confident and assured in themselves, regardless if it's dating or writing or any other. Right. You may Enough. even question why you're questioning their abilities because they're so confident in what they're doing or how they're presenting themselves. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. Maybe I should interview you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kevin, I kind of skipped over this, but I want you to tell us, I think you have been pretty humble in terms of where you are now and how you started and some of the authors and other celebrities that you've collaborated with. So can you just give us a little bit of context? Let me narrow that down. What is maybe one or two of your most exciting projects or people that you've worked with? Well, I did work with 50 Cent on a project a very long time ago. It was in 2007, I believe. He had a line of books. It was with 50 Cent and MTV Books. And I was one of the first authors that he'd signed. We had a big press conference in New York. And uh, we actually collabed on this project. 
he was very involved, believe it or not. He came up with the idea, the character's name, the concept and stuff. And I kind of like followed along. And it was called The Ski Mask Way. He actually bought the movie rights, but he didn't make it to the theater. But I still got checks for a very long time. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) And so, I mean, it wasn't a lot of money at the time, but it was good publicity. But the movie check... What it's called is an option. And what that means, they have an option to actually make the story into a movie. And so they buy those rights for a certain amount of time. When that time expires, they have to buy them again. So this actually went on for years. Like I might have got three or four checks before I guess they decided to shelf the project, which I <laughs> I wanted it to make it to the screen. But hey, if I got paid for it, I don't really care. It helped me out a lot. And I think the publicity and the awareness of me as a writer. That was one of the highlights of my career because, you know, you got to meet a celebrity, you got to collab with a celebrity, and he was very nice, very smart, too. Not saying I didn't believe he was smart. I mean, to reach that level of success, you have to be smart. What I mean by smart is that he was very knowledgeable about how a story should go. It doesn't really surprise me because as humans, we tell stories every day. Like, there's some people... Like, my dad is probably the best storyteller I know, and he's never going to write a book, but he has a lot of stories. You know how sometimes somebody is trying to convey something that happened, like a funny story they're trying to tell you, but they can't get it across? I guess I had to be there because I don't understand what you're saying. See, that person is not a good storyteller. But then you got some people who can tell a story, and they can make you visualize what happened. Mm -hmm. And that person right there is a natural storyteller. That's how my daddy is, but he embellishes a lot too. Like we know like a, a lot of stuff that he says is he's lying, but it's always funny. It doesn't take away from the story. The story is still great. Right. It, it, the story is good. And so a good storyteller does embellish, you know what I'm saying? Some mm-hmm. of them just write straight out lie or not remember all the facts. <laughs> oh, <perfect. laughs> right. So Kevin, you mentioned, I'm kind of going back to the 50 story, which I think is Super cool. My question to you is, when did you consider yourself as a success or what do you consider success? Because I know it could be wealth accumulation, increased free time, lifestyle options, creating social impact, etc. So for you, how do you define success? It's funny you said that because a lot of people, they'll look at my career and they will think that I'm successful. And I feel like I have had some success. But like you said about the social impact, I don't feel like I've had social impact. And so that's where I'm at now in this stage of my career. I mean, I've been prolific as a writer. I've entertained people. But at the end of the day, what does it all mean? It's just like I write fiction books, but who has it helped besides help somebody pass time on an airplane or something? You know. So my next project, I want to write a series of books for boys, particularly African-American boys, something to make them more interested in reading. Because when I was coming up, there wasn't a whole lot to choose from. And believe it or not, even to this day, there's not a whole lot to choose from for that demographic. So I want to make a social impact for that. You're right. There's definitely a lot of material out there for young Black kids, particularly boys. I've noticed that it's become, I hate to call it a trend, but there are more material out for young Black women, but not necessarily anyone targeting Black boys. So when can we expect this project? Hopefully I'll have the first one out by this summer. And a little bit about the project. I don't 
have it completely outlined yet, but from what I know, it's going to be about two black boys and a white boy. They're from like a disadvantaged background. And as you know, that's where I'm from too, like a disadvantaged background. So a lot of times when you're in these situations, particularly as a kid, there's not a whole lot you can do because you're a kid. Like, you know, you can't get a job to help out because you're underage. And so you feel like there's no way out. I want to put a positive spin on the situation to allow and let them know that, you know, there is hope. I want to be impactful in that way. So if I can do that, if I can get more boys interested in reading, I think I will consider myself a success or consider the project a success. I don't really consider myself successful. I have been able to make a living, a pretty good living, but there's always more to do. And at this point of my life, I want to be helpful to people. Like, I don't want to write a bunch of stuff just to entertain people. Like, there's a lot of stuff out there that, you know, you, you can be entertained by, but not necessarily moved by. I agree. Not saying that I won't write those types of books in the future. I will, but it's not necessarily something that I need to do. I've written enough of those, you know. The challenge I find with anyone who's reached, at least in my mind, a certain level of success is at each mile. Milestone, I guess it's still not enough, which is a great thing to keep people ambitious and feeling like the work is not done. But do you ever feel like you'll say, hey, I've made a social impact. I'm happy with myself. Or are you going to think I can still do more? So the pattern never stops in terms of how you gauge your success. I don't know. It's just a habit. I know I'll keep writing. I mean, that's what I do every morning. I don't know. It's so ingrained in me now. I'll probably just write until it doesn't make sense anymore, you know? I could probably see myself writing at 80 years old. That's a fact, because there's so many stories out there to tell. And I, I actually found something that I enjoy doing. I don't necessarily know if I'll still have an audience or, you know, if I have people following me at, at 80 years old. But <laughs> I'll, I'll be writing for myself because I like doing it. Another thing that I like to tell young writers is if nobody's reading your works, you still should write. You should write for you because that's what you like to do. You know, obviously, if you're not able to support yourself, you got to get a job. But still, you still should make time to do what you like to do or what you believe that you're called to do. If you don't feel like doing it because there's no money in it. Now, if had I not been able to support myself, I would still be writing. I may have a job, but I'll still be doing it. You know, because you enjoy it that much. It's not just something that you look at. I do. I do. I do enjoy it. So there are a few people that I know who have turned that skill set into making a living and making a pretty good living. So what advice would you give to an aspiring writer or even someone who writes now, but is not able to monetize or leverage their talent to actually make enough money to potentially quit their job or increase their revenue stream? I actually believe that. I feel like when you're trying to grow an audience, and this might not be the most popular thing for a lot of people, but I tell people in order to get readers, we have to like give away some content for free, you know, to get people to actually believe that you're good or good enough to buy, you know, because nobody wants to buy anything from someone they've never heard of. It's like if you go into the grocery store and you're looking for some water or whatever, what do you drink, Brittany? You drink... Um, I love LaCroix sparkling water. 
you're going looking for some sparkling <laughs> water and you see this no name brand sparkling water or whatever, you're not going to buy that. You're going to like, oh, who is this? I've never heard of this. And you're not going to even look at it for, for a few seconds. But if somebody say, hey, I want you to try this water out and they give you like a six pack of it and you like it, you might buy it again. You know what I mean? Right. That's books true. are just like water. It's like, there's no shortage of books. Out. Mm-hmm. Not only are you competing with the books that come out today, I mean, there's books out here that's been written 50 years ago, and people only have a certain amount of money that they want to spend on entertainment. And so you might have to give away your content or start a blog or something. And people have started blogs, start a blog and write stories on your blog or either uh, write Twitter stories or something. Just get your following up first. That's the advice. Actually, like younger people, like teenagers, all the way up to like 25 they're really good at getting people to follow their stuff. They know what it takes right now. There's a platform. I can't remember the name of it, but these people write these little stories and stuff, and they have, like, followers. And- for writers? Yeah, it's for writers, but it's mostly teen writers. Because I learned about it because somebody actually stole some of my work and put it on there, and it was... Really? <laughs> yeah. So how would you define failure? What does failure mean to you, if that even exists in your world? Oh, yeah, it exists. I think to me, it sounds very cliche as not doing everything that you could possibly do to achieve whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, like whatever it is. It's not necessarily the result, but not applying yourself to the fullest and not trying like failure is to me, it's just laying in the bed at night or becoming an 80 year old man or woman and thinking what I could have done or what I didn't try, what I didn't pursue. Because I think for me, one of the only differences is from people that are successful and ones that aren't is the person, the successful person just had the balls to try. And a successful person to me doesn't always win or get the result that they want, but they don't ever stop trying. But if you don't try or apply yourself, you're afraid or you're afraid of what people think. We all have these voices in our heads. And I'm sure it was like that with you when you started this podcast. Like, what are people going to think? I might suck. I might. I mean, we all have these voices in our head that's telling us that we can't do it or nobody's going to want to hear anything from me. And so if you let those voices overpower you and cripple you to the point where you don't even try that right there to me is a failure a successful person don't always get the results that they desire but they know how to turn the page they don't dwell on it like you see nfl quarterbacks even the great ones they might throw three or four interceptions in a game but they don't dwell on that last interception they don't worry about that it's the next play in front of them and that's how it is in life it's the next thing in front of you even if someone has to work a traditional nine to five, if this is something that they really want to do, you encourage them to write anyway. Yeah. If you're a writer, nobody should have to tell you to write and you shouldn't have to be getting money to write. Like I think I said earlier in the interview, this is something that I'm going to be doing the rest of my life, whether I get paid or not. Because I've written probably 10 years before I even actually got paid or even was published. And nobody really knew about it. A few people knew about it, but I remember I was in a relationship with a woman and I had these... uh well, that sounded weird. The only relationship I ever been in was with a woman, so let's clarify that. But anyway, she found some notebooks that I had been writing. She didn't even know I was a writer. She was mad, like, oh, you never told me 
that she was a writer. And I didn't necessarily consider myself a writer because I wasn't published yet. But the point of what I'm trying to say is I was doing it because I enjoyed doing it. And I will do it probably till I die because I like doing it. There's been years when I didn't make a lot of money. I didn't profit, Mm -hmm. but I didn't stop doing it. So can you share one or two instances where you've encountered a roadblock And at that time, it seemed to completely derail your career or such a major blow that you would actually consider going back to the regular workforce and what steps you took to plow through to be the author that you are today. I don't know if we mentioned this, but I published all of my material. I published all my books. And I remember early on in my career, I had a big order. I think it was maybe 10,000 books or whatever. And so the way the book business works is for myself, I thought like, oh, 10,000 books because the distributor was paying me $6.25 a book. So I got an order for over 10,000 books. So I sent the books in. So I'm thinking, okay, in 90 days, I'm going to get $60,000 roughly or more, you know. So the way the business works is you send the books in to the distributor. They sell the books and then they pay you. So I'm thinking in 90 days, I'm going to get my money. But they have what they call returns. And what returns is if they don't sell, they get to send them back to you. And distributors will play games with you. When it's time to pay, they'll send your books back. Right. All of them back. Like, oh, and then they'll turn around, and try to order the same books the next day so they can get another 90 days. So but the first time that I was expecting to have 60 something thousand dollars. OK, I come home and I got all of these boxes of books on my steps coming from UPS. So they gave me these returns. So it was probably about eight thousand books back. Like and I had all of my money tied up. I was going to say, you had to front the cost to even provide them with these, but that's crazy. Right. I had all my money tied up. And, I, you know, I had a mortgage. I just became a homeowner. I just had a mortgage. I had card notes. I had things I needed to take care of. And that day, I really, really felt like giving up because I didn't have any money at all. And I was counting on that money to help me get by. And so that made me change my business model a little bit. But that particular day was a really, really rough day. It was a wake-up call. And it made me have to learn business, too. Like, uh, not only was I writing, but I had to learn how to be a business person. And what that meant to me specifically is rather than dealing with distributors and waiting on money, I had to do a more direct sales approach to get capital up. So I started dealing with vendors that weren't paying as much as the distributors. But, you know, as in business, cash is king. And so I learned that day that when you have money out that you need to collect, that doesn't necessarily mean that you that's different than money in the bank. <laughs> like you need the cash and the capital that day. But that day right there, when I came home and I saw those books, I was like, man, I need to quit this and get me another job. But I had books that I bought that I had to sell. You know, so it forced you to go into a plan B and change your mindset from being just an author to more of a businessman. Did that prompt you to focus a lot on ebooks? I know you're big on the internet as well, or this was before ebooks. Well, no, no, ebooks wasn't really out then. 
Like if you go on Amazon, but I'm not really focused so much on ebooks. And I think my plans are to eventually get off Amazon because while you can reach a lot of people, they can change their business model at a drop of a hat. And that's another thing when you're in business. I know you asked me specifically about books, but you don't necessarily want to rely on one vendor. And I did rely on Amazon for a few years because I, you know, they was paying me some good money. But I had really have no control of what Amazon can do. You know, they can wake up tomorrow and change their business model. And then you got to do whatever they got to do. So just like Jeff woke up one day and decided that he was going to change his <laughs> romance model. Well, I mean, I don't know if he woke up <laughs> one day and decided he was going to change. I think she might have changed it for him. Like the, the richest man in the world. She's had to shoot her shot. <laughs> <laughs> man i swear that woman well i ain't gonna talk about her but she definitely on my mount rushmore of, of gold diggers this conversation done took a complete different <laughs> with a complete different direction but i i couldn't help it you were talking about amazon and i tried to stay away from the blogs but i mean that's one of the biggest come-ups in history if not the in modern history man that's one like i said that woman is on my mount rushmore Beside Black China, Steve Harvey's wife, whatever her name is, and My Ellen Lozada, <laughs> My Mount Rushmore of gold diggers. Matter of fact, she might need her own mountain because them definitely them ain't in her class. No, she got the richest man in the world. And I think they're still seeing each other. I mean, why not? Life is short. They're obviously not happy with their spouses. <laughs> but you talking about climbing the social ladder, she started off with a football player. Which for a normal person would be an upgrade. Been a Hollywood agent that's worked multi-millionaire who happens to be Jeff's friend. No. Yeah. <laughs> and then Jeff. <laughs> Dorky little Jeff, but Jeff got that bag. <laughs> he got that bag. Money ain't everything, but it is a tool for making life easier. I wholeheartedly agree. Now I'm kind of switching gears. You clearly have a presence on social media. Can you share what the craziest DM you've ever received was? I know how I am. I don't really send crazy DMs because, you know, it will put you on blast. Yeah, I don't think that you would be the one that shoots your shot in the DMs, but I would think that you would have come across a lot of interested women who may have reached out to you via Facebook or Instagram. Most of the time, women DM me about like, hey, can I see some material to look at or something? You know, people just want my opinion about whatever they're working on. And I think it because, I mean, I'm not on Instagram showing my chest or my quads. <laughs> <laughs> How do you come up with these characters? For example, I love the Mount Rushmore analogy. This just popped up in your head and then you start writing or is this based on like, how do you develop the characters and keep people entertained? I mean, a lot of the characters, believe it or not, it's a compilation of people that I know. Like, I meet some very, very strange people. You know, Brittany, you know some of my friends. <laughs> uh, I do. And family. Yeah, and family. So a lot of it is, like, from people I know and people that I've observed from afar. And I think there's only a certain amount of people in the world. Like, what I mean by that is arts types of people. Like, when you see people, 
you can kind of tell with their personality real fast. You can kind of sum them up real fast by the things that they like, the things that they say, what they've experienced and stuff and form an arts type. There's only a certain amount of arts types out there. What I mean by that is like most of the time a pretty girl has been told she's pretty all her life and she probably went to the prom, was a prom queen or a pageant girl or this or that. And those kind of people, that, that kind of tends to play out in your adult life and they start to expect thing based on their experiences and men are the same way like you know you got a certain type of man that has the successful man that's been successful since school or whatever and you can kind of sum a person up real fast by their experiences but to make an interesting character they have to have flaws you know everybody has flaws of things that they're dealing with and so to make a character human you have to make them flawed in a way because people like to root for flawed people because we're all flawed in a sense. It makes it more relatable. It makes it more relatable. And I think it makes it more interesting. You don't want your character to be a perfect person. You want them to be flawed and make a whole lot of mistakes. So Kevin, have I ever been in one of your books? Yeah, probably. And you don't piss me off. But you know what? It was one of the stories I had, and you pointed it out to me. It was a girl named Brittany who had a beautiful <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know what? I probably was thinking about you when I wrote that. But one of my friends pointed out that I put his house in a story. And when I looked at it, it was his house, actually. And it was getting getting robbed. He was like, wait a minute. Your description was so vivid that he was able to say, wait a minute, this is my house? He said, wait. Oh, my bad, bro. Well, Kevin, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, as I always do. I hope that this will not be the last time that you join us here on Brit Happens. And before we log off for the day, can you please let our listeners know how they can reach out to you to either purchase a book for speaking engagements, coaching services, or in the future, for sure, to get the Black Boy series, which I'm super excited about. Yeah, my Instagram is Author K. Elliot and my Twitter is K. Elliot for real. My email address is uh, Kevin Elliot three at gmail.com. And my website is K. Elliot online.com. So you can reach me there and you better have me back on this show when it blows up. I know it <laughs> oh, is. Thank you so much. No, I really, really enjoyed this conversation, Kevin. So impart some wisdom to me and our current and future listeners. And we will for sure be speaking again soon. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you guys so much for checking out today's episode. I'll see you next time. Don't forget to visit us at www.brithappens.com. Bye.